Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome back to Angel on Top, a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of Angel one by one and in tandem with our arch nemesis, those terrible women over at Buffering the Vampire Slayer, especially Mm -hmm. Jenny. She's the worst (laughs) of all of them. I'm your co-host, LaToya Ferguson, a.k.a. the Cordelia Chase of the Buffering Verse, a.k.a. Bones, a.k.a. one half of the Gun Squad. Bang, bang. A.K.A. Theodore K. Mullins. A.K.A. Gilly. A.K.A. Lover of long-winded bits like this one. And I'm your co-host, Morgan Ludich. A.K.A. The Winifred Burkle of the Buffering Verse. A.K.A. Also Bones. A.K.A. The Other Half of the Gun Squad. Blap, blap. <laughs> A.K.A. Frank Scavopoulos. A.K.A. Sorry. AKA also a lover of long-winded bits, more specifically this one. And this week we're watching Angel Season 3, Episode 18, Double or Nothing. Double or Nothing was written by David H. Goodman and directed by David Grossman. It aired on the WB on April 22nd, 2002. And this is the one where we reveal that Gunn sold his soul to a casino demon. And now that he's on the verge of giving it to Fred, the casino is going to collect. Previously on Angel, Fred has guns back. Gun hunted vampires and demons since he was a kid, but he never had a Fred before. Wes is taking the baby away for good. That Justine slits his throat and takes the baby away from him. Mm. Wes has reasons for taking Connor, the father will kill the son. Uh, so maybe Angel won't forgive him. Not. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> I, I will just say, um... We'll t- discuss this later when we have our, our uh, Wes scene in the hospital, but a lot of uh, Wes's scenes are uh, a real psych moment lately. <laughs> uh, all of them are so grim, I don't even know what to do about it. Like, all of the Wes scenes in my notes are like one line of like, Jesus. <laughs> this is the saddest scene that's ever existed. Grim stuff, folks. <laughs> but you know what's not grim? Gun and Fred, baby. And that's how we open the episode. Oh my god. Um, I know we've said good things about about Gunn. I know we've said good things about Fred. I know we've said good things about the two of them together. But dang are they lovely in this episode. They are so beautiful, so charming, so sweet. I would do anything for them. Uh, 10 out of 10. Couple goals, as they say. As the kids say. The kids are, the kids are right to say it. Hashtag goals. For once, uh, the kids are right. 
We'll, we'll, we'll give the kids this one. Uh, so we see them. They're going through files of all these pending cases, um, you know, files that it seems like Wes had been handling. And they're trying to work around talking about him and like cases he was supposed to handle. Meanwhile, Lorne is like worrying about Angel isolating himself and Cordy returns. We start with, you know, it's fun. They're going through files. Not so fun. They're going through files because Wesley's not here to go through files or, you know, handle the cases with, you know, squatters in a demon lair. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gunn's making comments about Wes stealing a baby. And Fred's like, don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. And it's just Fred's very blunt to Lauren where it's like because Lauren's, you know, worried about Angel not leaving his room. But Fred's like, you know, he lost the only child he'll ever have. It's very (laughs) blunt to say. It's true, but very blunt. Yeah, but I mean, it is it is the truth. It's like, that's as good an excuse as any. Um, but I do want to say, when Cordy walks in with her new haircut, which we should obviously discuss, I did have to note that Gru is in a Tommy Bahama-esque shirt with, like, big feathers on it, which is kind of bird shirty. So I do want to say that I do think Gru is the Winston Bishop of this season. I mean, there is a moment in the episode where I just type in my notes, all caps, HIMBO! (laughs) I also have a big HIMBO written with a bunch of hearts on it. I wonder if it'll be the same moment. It might be. All right, well, that'll be a fun thing to keep track of. It's real Winnie the Bish energy uh, from the Grusalug here. Absolutely. And Cordy sees all of their faces and asks, what happened? Ah, we cut to Angel's room. Uh, Cordy walks in and she says that she's sorry. And she just kind of holds him. And uh, my heart breaks into a million pieces. Is it because Angel has tears in his eyes? Most likely because he's obviously been just, you know, sitting brooding in this room all this time. But probably from even just hearing Cordelia downstairs, he probably started crying because now he has to face her. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's that great thing that they dramatize in Fredless. The idea that sometimes things that happen to you don't feel real until you share them with someone who loves you and you see, like the pain that they experience alongside of you. Like, Cordy being someone, like, being the closest person in his life that he has, you know, now that Wes is gone, like, Cordy, of all of these people, is the person he knew the longest and probably cares about the most. No offense, rest of Team Angel. But, um, like, this is the the worst person to see right now. Like, I mean, like, unless it was Buffy who walked through and was like, hey, her kid died. <laughs> Oh, my God. She said it like that? Uh, She's quippy. (laughs) She's like, well, I was in hell. I'm sorry. I was in heaven. And they ripped me out of there. So she's like trying to one up him. Yeah, so kind of like not so big a deal. (laughs) Wow, we've really just because we're at war with buffering doesn't mean we have to be at war with Buffy. (laughs) Yeah, we've like demonized Buffy in general. Buffy season six. (laughs) I mean, come over here. It's so much fun. Angel season three. Yeah, this episode is so much fun. Except this episode is so much fun, except for yeah, the parts of it that are just devastating. That. <laughs> you were just talking about how fun this episode is, Morgan. It is. Speaking of fun, we head over to the casino. We have a Which, big blue... <laughs> speaking of fun, we head over to the casino. I wrote in my notes, hard angel cut, because what is that transition from the, the, the depression of Cordelia and Angel to we're in the casino, baby, ha-cha-cha? What is that? It, for me, it's like 
you're too sad to handle this. Here's fun. And I'm like, thank God. Like, I can't process any of this emotionally. I have to have casino fun with a bunch of spooky looking monsters, all of whom I'm obsessed with. Um, Of course. I think this is as good a time as any to mention that um, I uh, have a little bit of extra insight that I'm going to share at um, times in this episode because uh, David Goodman, who wrote this episode, happens to work on the show that I'm working on right now. And he was kind enough to answer a couple questions for us and I'll share some of his answers. The creature design in this episode is like stunning and phenomenal and rules. I was asking him about it and he was like an assistant on the show who got to write a freelance episode. So he didn't have a ton of like creative control over creature design and things like that. But he was like, I'm so impressed by it. He watched the episode for the first time in 19 years uh, to answer my questions, which was very sweet. And um, I was like, it holds up, right? It rules. And he was like, yeah. So He mentioned the density of the monsters being so exciting. And I did want to say that, too. Like, it's one thing to have two demons who look awesome, which Blue Demon, who is Repo Man, and uh, Spooky Scary um, Boss Demon, which is Janoff. That's one thing. But given how many background, like, actors they have in, like, dope demon makeup, it just made me so happy. And that's so much money and so much care. And I just was very stoked to see all of that. So I wanted to note that there. I just want to know about Blue Demon. Uh, I was I decided to call him uh, Vinny Statham. It's a cross of <laughs> Vinny Jones and Jason Statham. Uh, I did write in my notes, you talk like you're from London. <laughs> he does talk like he's from London. Um, I, yeah, I was obsessed. I realized I did not know Blue Demon's name and I looked it up in the script and in the script he's he's Repo Man, but I am fine with Vinny Statham. <laughs> and Vinny Statham, I, he looks like Ivan Ooze. I was obsessed um, and he wears these little sunglasses, which are so great. So he talks to Jenoff in the tux and he spies a cheater and Jenoff's like, take his left hand. We can still make money off the right one. So this is uh, a shady place. Uh, And David mentioned like this being their chance to do kind of their own like Star Wars cantina, like kind of vibe with the casino. And that vibe is definitely there. Jenoff's design rules. The like temple spikes and his pointy ears and his skin is very the mastery. You know, everyone loves the master's skin. <laughs> well, it's so gross. Like, I just, I love it. I, You're um, such a little freak. I know. I was like, ah, gross, guys. Um, yeah, this was my favorite. So uh, Vinny Statham is like, hey, this guy's markers up. We gotta go collect the soul. And he holds up an Angel Investigations business card. A rectangle, if you will. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, the implication is that, you know, Angel's at pretty low right now. You know what can make it worse? If someone collected his soul, because it's, it's a little trick. They're trying to trick you. Yeah, they got us. And I'm like, I know they all have business cards with their actual names on it because of Carpe Noctum. Yeah, it's clearly covering Gunn's name, too, when he's holding it. (laughs) Love it. Then we go to titles. Then we are back in Angel's room. He is just lying on a bed that is covered in rubble. Yeah. That is that is grim. Cordy shows up with a book to keep him company. And it's just like. 
I can truly only handle 15 seconds of this story at a time. So I'm so glad that all the scenes are really brief. Yeah, it's like they're in their own bottle episode, Boreana's and Carpenter, honestly. Yeah, and it's a great way to, to, to put her back into, like, the context of the show. Like, having her gone for so long, like, it... It's a really lovely return because Angel needs her. And it's this very intense story just between the two of them. I think that's perfect. Yeah. Then we have a Lauren and Gru scene. Gru says that this house is thick with sadness. Oof. Buddy. Um, and they are packing up Wes's tea set, which was uh, very painful to look at. I think that they've kind of like had... They've had cuts to that as, like, this reminder of Wes's absence and, like, the idea that that's getting shoved away uh, made me really bummed. Yeah, the emotional range this show's getting out of a tea set is absurd. And yet, I see that tea set and I feel a lump in my throat. (laughs) Like, they've got me. Over in the Hyperion, in the office, which I had to write office because it's no longer Wes's office, um, Gunn and Fred are talking to the Frizilkas, who are another set of creatures that I was obsessed with. This is it, you and Michael. This, I, God, I mean, God willing. Um, uh, after a while together in the same lair. After quarantine, this is me and Michael now <laughs> that we've been stuck in our lair for so long. Their big smushy faces are so funny. They're asking for Wes because they had been like hanging with him before. There is a skench demon in their lair that's getting his phlegm everywhere you know how they do you know how those skench demons do they they do always be doing that um the they've been married for 300 years um ever since the mitosis guns like yeah you just lop that thing's head off right i'll do that today bye (laughs) and as they leave fred loves the way they finish each other's insults gun is like yeah it's pretty beautiful and i'm Goo. Goo, kind of like the skench demon's phlegm. A lot like it. <laughs> Lauren's hiding Wes's stuff mm-hmm. and he's bailing basically. He has a, he's t- doing house call readings because he just he can't be there right now with what's happening with Angel. Yeah, and he's doing them very far away. It was like it's like Topanga Canyon or yeah. Kenoga Hills or something. I'm like, that is like a hour and a half drive. Probably two in traffic. That's but you know this show in geography. They're always going. They're going to like Sun Valley. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) They're in Santa Monica way too often. They're on the east side. Why are they always in Santa Monica? And again, I know I've said it before, but Cordy living in Silver Lake, I don't buy it. That's a Culver City bitch if I've ever seen one. Do you think her initial apartment, uh, the woman with ra- uh, like roaches, was that on the west side? Yeah, maybe she was like trying to live on the west side and did in like a way too expensive apartment. Yeah, I buy that. Okay, we figured it out. <laughs> Sorry, guys, we didn't get to talk about this in the first two seasons, so yeah. now we're talking about it now. Gotta catch up on all that stuff. So uh, then we cut to... Wes's hospital room, and we have a Fred and Wes scene. Uh, Wes still can't talk because of the uh, throat slitting. Uh, But Fred has brought his stuff, and she kind of explains, like, what she knows about, like, the prophecies and, like, his kind of thought process and that she understands. And Wes kind of brightens just, like, it's so, it's so infinitesimal like it's like it's it's barely there but he and kind then the of scene like says psych <laughs> yep 
But he was right to blame you, Wesley. He should have come to us. He should have trusted us instead of going to Holtz behind our back. You were supposed to be our friend and you didn't even... If Angel sees you again, he'll kill you, Wesley. This time for real. Just don't come back to the hotel. Ever. The prophecy was false. Angel was never gonna hurt Connor. It was all for nothing. Wesley, for all of this, maybe could still say that he did the right thing in a way until he finds out the prophecy was false. And then he has no hope whatsoever. Again, the scene saying psych to him, just like Justine saying his throat was a psych scene, just like <laughs> Angel like smothering him was a psych scene. It's just, it's just horrible. Uh, and also at the top of the scene, uh, Fred notes that it's not permanent, him not being able to speak, because there is a, a world in which Wesley never speaks again on this show. Oh, no. That would, would I, never hear his dulcet British tones. <laughs> Alexis himself is doing very good work not speaking, so he could pull it off. But I mean, Absolutely. I want to hear that yeah. voice, baby. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love that voice. Uh, I wanted to note that it's really interesting that even Fred, who is like likely the most lenient, the person who like kind of has seemed to make the most excuses for Wes around Team Angel and all of that stuff. Even she has so much anger at him that boils over after just like two seconds of being around him. And I really appreciate that because I think it's really real. The idea that like... Maybe she's the one who, like, you know, is think is thinking the the nicest about him and is, you know, willing to go back and turn into stuff. But she's not forgiving and forgetting. Like, she's still really pissed. And I, I thought that was a really nice, like, I, I liked the, the emotion of that. She is the person I wanted to see speak to Wes the most. Um, and Cordelia is next on that list. I would like to see that conversation now, please. And part of I'm sure it won't hurt me at all. Maybe she's the only one who could tell him never to come back to the hotel. Because I think Cordelia wouldn't want to say that. Like, And I think even Gunn would probably buckle and not say that either. Mm -hmm. Fred is also being compassionate by telling him don't come back. It's like, for your safety, do not come back here. Because Angel will kill you. Like, that is, she's, to a certain extent, doing a kindness by hurting him. Yeah. <laughs> one of those, you know? <laughs> So that, uh, after that made me so fucking upset. We go back to the Hyperion and we have a scene with, uh, Gru and Vinny Statham. Um, I write in my notes that, uh, Vinny Statham sounds like Eliza fucking Doolittle. <laughs> I wrote that I wish that Kate Beckinsale was doing a Cockney accent for Jolt because that's the only way Jolt could be even better. Oh, God, I can't wait to watch Jolt um, crank high voltage for girls. Um, but yeah, God, he he gives a, a business card to Gru and is asking after Gun, And uh, he thinks Gru is Angel. It's like, are we doing another guys will be guys situation? But we're not. <laughs> we're not. But it'd be fun to do it. Uh, then he's like, where's Gun? Gun's in the sewer. <laughs> There's not a welcome mat to the lair. It's just written on the cement. Uh, Gurfong, bless our home of the lair. Um, Frizilka's 
I love you. Uh, Gun goes in. He fights the Skench. There's so much goo. He also is, this guy also is like a jacked uh, men in black alien. I was obsessed with him. He is so big. And I guess it um, it also goes to show, again, how strong Sajan was. Because mm-hmm. remember, like, he took Gun down with, like, just one punch each time. Mm-hmm. But Gun takes this big guy out pretty easily here. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, Sajan truly uh, must be so dang strong because Gun's tough as hell. Um, and he he wins the fight and he goes, it must be my lucky day. And then Vinny Statham pokes his little blue face in there and says, wanna bet? Then we have a flashback. Uh, Latoya, what? I didn't recognize that song. What was that song that was playing? Uh, I know you're, you're white, Morgan. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm but white. <laughs> have you ever heard of a, a, a rapper named Coolio? I've heard Coolio's around. <laughs> Coolio's around. Coolio's around. Yes, uh, this was uh, Gangsta's Paradise. You know, uh, the Coolio song mm. from the Michelle Pfeiffer-led uh, Dangerous Minds. Maybe you've mm. heard of it. Mm. Is that where she teaches kids that poetry is just another way to rap? It is. It is. She, t- she turns that seat around AC Slater style. There we go. When I watched this episode for the first time a little bit ago with Michael Chasen, we both screamed so loudly at the Gangsta's Paradise needle drop and both stood off of our couch and started like, I started jumping up and down. I was thrilled. Um, Michael said, and because I can quote him because I didn't say it, is this the only time there's been a cool song on one of these shows? (laughs) So do with that what you will. And this is where I is that where I brought up Michelle Branch, and then I was told that Michelle Branch was not cool. Apparently, I was like, "Yeah, that that was immediately what I said to him." I was like, "Excuse me, goodbye to you," but <laughs> I get it. This rules. I checked the the script that I could find online, and per the script, it just says like John King, who I assume was their music supervisor. Let's find some 1995 music that could be coming from a like passing or parked car. And when I asked David about this needle drop, I was like, were you excited? He was like, so excited. It rules. And Gun goes into the casino. And it's seven years ago, and he's not looking too happy about it. We go inside, and he uh, talks to Vinny Statham. He's checked for weapons. Vinny Statham calls him bro. I don't care for that. At least he doesn't call him G. Uh, yeah, better than that. <laughs> doesn't say what. Uh, doesn't Good say one, he's G. Tripping out. <laughs> he's tripping out. <laughs> the things <sighs> that they have made David Boreanaz say to this man in this season of television. Unreal. Uh, so he says he has business with Jenoff. Uh, so Gun he approaches Jenoff. He wants something, and Jenoff's like, "I work in needs." All right, get it? You're spooky. <laughs> uh, and Gun is like, "Well, this is what I need," and he shows a picture. Jenoff is, is aware of Gun from his reputation on the streets. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, people have heard of Charles Gun. Hell yeah, they have. Yeah, him and his do rag. <laughs> So many years ago, remember, he wore a do-rag before he, mm-hmm. he started working with these white people. 
Jadoff looks at the photo and he's like, very nice. She's a real beauty. Uh, so write that down in your Shanshu prophecy so we can talk about it later. Um, <laughs> and they says, the cost is your future. And Gun says, what future? And then Morgan cries. I tear up um, and they shake on it. And Jenoff's got one of those like pokey rings that uh, draws blood and he smears it on a contract. And uh, we are bound by blood oath. And uh, that's spooky. <laughs> I saw some things trying to call um, Gun going to a demon casino like a continuity error error because, you know, he was so surprised about Caritas when he first went there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a difference between knowing of a demon casino where you could trade your soul for something and knowing about demons going to karaoke. There's yeah, a real difference there. Like, it's, it's very different. Yeah, seeing a demon sing, like, Islands in the Stream, like, on a Tuesday night is very different from this place. Yeah. Yeah, um, I would, yeah, I would agree with you there. Back to the lair, present day, uh, Vinny Satham is like, you made a deal, blood oath, you traded your soul, and the problem is that Gunn is giving his soul to Fred, but he promised it to Jenoff. So in my notes, you might see in all caps, uh, I have written, I want to run around the fucking room for real. (laughs) This is a premise kills me. Like, it's very like, like metaphorical and like it maybe in some ways this could be seen as like a little bit arch. But the idea that like he's giving his soul to Fred because he loves her so much and now like that debt can't be collected. I was obsessed. I was so into it. They are so cute. Uh, they have a, a very pure love and they have a miraculous love, as uh, one Buffy Summers would say. And I adored it. But as you know from one Buffy Summers, it's, it sometimes doesn't work out when you give someone your soul. Sometimes you become a, a, like a bloodthirsty monster who like kills her friends. True, but I think this one could work out maybe. <laughs> Soul is gun. Gun jealous. No! Uh, Gun jealous. Gun jealous. (laughs) Horrible. Uh, So Gun is like, hey, like, I want to see, like, can I see Janoff? Like, isn't there anything else I can give him? And Vinny Statham's like, no, you have 24 hours to get your house in order or Fred dies too. And I write, no, in all caps in my notes, because I wouldn't like that to happen. Fred jealous. (laughs) Um, So then in the Hyperion lobby, Gunn's like looking at Fred wistfully because, you know, he's only going to be alive for 24 more hours, I guess. Um, Yikes. And then Cordelia pops up uh, scarfing her her Teamster sub. I was so obsessed with her eating a big sandwich during this scene. It's like we've made Cordelia like too ethereal and like the perfect grief like guide throughout this thing. We must humanize her by having her eat a huge sandwich. (laughs) She's like, yeah, it's been I've been with Angel for hours and since he doesn't eat, I couldn't eat either. I've been quietly mourning and like dealing with the deepest, darkest feelings, but I really needed a sub. Do you think her stomach growled in front of Angel? 100%. <laughs> and I think he didn't even notice because he's like in it. And she was yeah. like, well, this is embarrassing and left. 
grim stuff. So she immediately consents that something's wrong with Gunn. I can see the misery all over your face. I know what's going on. You do? It's pretty obvious. Angel's lost his son. Wesley's gone, and here you are, happy as a kid in a candy store. Um, happy. And racked with guilt because of it? Well, don't be. You and Fred are meant to be. I get that now. She essentially says he has survivor's remorse, basically, since Angel's miserable, Wesley's miserable, but not gun. Yeah, uh, Cordy, queen of the misread, especially this season. <laughs> she she is, uh, there's something she's like dead on with, but nothing regarding this entire relationship status. But I guess, I guess she, is she better off or worse off than Angel when it comes to this trio? <laughs> Well, better than Angel, yeah, but God, <laughs> the lowest ever bar to step over. <laughs> Bars on the ground. Um, Gun is like, look, I never thought I'd be around this long. This is, uh, for the record, when I uh, tears welled up in my eyes immediately. I handle it. I um, the idea that Gun has never like hoped for his life to last this long slash get this good. Um, makes me very emotional because he deserves the best. And so Cordy's like, you're lucky. Like, things are good. You should live a little. And she pretends that she has a vision of them taking the day off tomorrow. And Gunn, of course, confirming everything Cordelia said about him in First Impressions that he kept denying in that episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, First Impressions. Uh, A a crucial Gun Squad episode. It's when Cordelia becomes a member of the Gun Squad. (laughs) Bang, bang. Bang, bang, baby. Blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah. Uh, so then the next day in Fred's room, uh, she's woken up by her cell phone ringing, and she and Gunn play this game where she guesses his outfit. They apparently do this every morning. I, I mean, I don't want to kick a man when he's down, but Wes, you were never in the game. Never in the game so hard if this is, like, the level that they're at. Uh, she gets it right on the second try, and he barges into her room, surprising her with, like, a big silver room service tray and a single red rose. He came prepared for the last day, man. And Fred is like, is today special? And Gunn says, well, it's our day off, and it's going to be the best day of our lives. Aww. And they have a pancake kiss. They have a pancake kiss. kiss. <laughs> I, the pancake kiss. We cut back to Wes in the hospital. The, the tonal shifts in this episode are out of control. Unreal, really, this feeling. Um, Wes, it's announced that uh, it's, it's Wes and his doctor. His doctor's like, hey. You're going to be released later today. Is anyone around to pick you up? I mean, I guess Justine's around. Does she still have his car? <laughs> Least she could do, honestly. <laughs> that was also part of Holt's plan. It's so awful. We cut from this grim scene to yet another. We're- oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> I guess, actually, it's a good thing the hospital is right next to his place. Mm-hmm. That is something we know, so... Yeah, it's not too far, I guess. <laughs> there's there's the good news. He doesn't need a car. He can just walk there with a sad box. That's that's nice. Get a little exercise. <laughs> That'll be good for him. I want to die. Um, 
In our next scene, Angel is uh, speculating about how he thinks uh, Connor was going to be left-handed. And I wonder if we can maybe step into a certain corner to talk about this deeply devastating plotline. Maybe that would help lighten things up a bit. I mean, I told you that I wasn't going to lighten anything up a bit. So uh, Morgan and I, when we first got on the Zoom before LaToya uh, arrived, Morgan was like, isn't this the best episode ever? And I was like, this is the saddest episode I've ever seen. We had like two completely different focal points as we watched. <laughs> so valid. I just, there's... There's gooey, spooky monsters. I'm on both sides of the fence, obviously. <laughs> I actually, I, I want to, before I talk, because I, I just have a few things to, like, say for real mm-hmm. about Cordelia. Um, but before we get there, two two little things. One, this um, arc, this storyline is very similar to I Will Remember You in the 24 hours together. I mean, it's different in a million other ways, mm-hmm. but like when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this reminds me of yeah. this other time that two people who love each other deeply have 24 hours together before they'll never see each other again, mm-hmm. at least in that form. Mm-hmm. Uh, two is uh, Latoya, since at least insofar as I know, you and I are both single uh, and, and Morgan is in love. I just <laughs> wondered how you felt about this because I, when when it was like, Gun's soul is going to Fred. I was like, okay, that's a little intense, everybody. But Morgan was really into it. So I want to know where you fall on the party lines. <laughs> I mean, I support it because I support Gun Fred. I'm not like, yes. I'm not like opposed to, to people finding love. I just know I'll no. never find love. No, but- exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's not about them finding love. It's about like, the the like symbol of being in love being that you are literally giving your soul to another person that it's a little much for me it's a little and maybe that's because I just am you know I have been in love I've fallen out of love a few times and I'm like okay a soul's a little much <laughs> but I I fully agree like it's a little arch yeah it's like the song says last Christmas I gave Jen off my soul the very <laughs> next day I gave it away to Fred. <laughs> lyrically it's right there for us you're right it is like it's very broad and like the idea that like i I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that you like give away a big huge chunk of yourself when you like love someone or whatever but i i just can't help but like the two of them they have such a lovely warm sweet thing so the idea that like you can't take him like he's mine like it just you can't like it's it's more about the back half of it to me is like her being like you can't take my boyfriend he's mine like you don't own him Mm -hmm. i own this bitch bitch. like that's what i relate to i guess but it also it reaffirms how little the concept of soul seems to matter to people until they know angel and what having a soul actually right. does mean. You know, yes. right, obviously, Gunn's right. not thinking about what a soul means or anything like that. Yeah, he, was just, he never had to until he met Angel, and he was just trying to survive. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. See, I knew I'd get the goods out of you <laughs> if I just po- if I just poked a soul around in this place. <laughs> 
Um, and no, Morgan, I, I, I know that you don't uh, believe that it, to be in love, you need to give your soul to your boyfriend. But I just thought it might be one of those things where like, because you are currently like happily in love, you're like, this is so lovely. And I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> happily. <laughs> Krista's just like booing the TV as she's watching yeah. it. I'm like, okay, you can live your own lives, guys. You know, it's fine. <laughs> anyway, the reason that I have invited you here to my corner <laughs> uh, is, is really seriously, like, I obviously I'm happy that Cordy is back. Um, but I, the way that Cordelia holds space for Angel in this episode, and this is like, I mean, this is the writing, too. Like, yes, Charisma does an incredible job. Uh, David does an incredible job. But the the lines that are written for them to, for really Cordelia to say to Angel and the things that she does are so powerful to me. And, like, I've talked a little bit in various places about, like, having gone through trauma, even if it's not the same trauma as someone else, like, knowing how to... Um, validate their trauma like that and then she does that she says that to him and their little I like that you called it a little bottle episode like in in the interior of this but she she just sits there and like you were just at the part where he starts to talk and the only reason he starts to talk is because she's been sitting there quietly for as long as it took for him to talk and it's so powerful to me and that she says to him it's not gonna get better it is always going to hurt. And so I just like wanted to come here to give a standing ovation to the writing of this little interior plot line because I think it's very authentic um, to like people who have gone through trauma and also so authentic to where Cordelia is right now in her growth. So there ends my monologue. I know it's not what I usually, I usually come in here with my fucking top hat and my tap <laughs> shoes on, but I had some shit to say today. <laughs> That's so valid. It's, it's such a, um, it feels so grown up. Like, again, like I, having watched this when I was a lot younger, like, and watching it again now, like this just feels so much more mature and, mm-hmm. and such a, a very like adult understanding of like grief and trauma and loss and the idea that she she knows him too well to sugarcoat what this experience is going to be like and she wouldn't do that to him because that's that's not what he needs and like giving mm-hmm. him the space and all of that stuff it's it's so beautiful uh while while uh we i have you i wanted to touch on like a, you mean while i have oh you yes absolutely while, yes corner. she's wrangled us into this corner <laughs> i'm trapped in this corner um i would like to talk i thought it was interesting that this is kind of like a thematic alignment this idea about um futures being taken the idea that like uh so cordy kind of says like if you like you had a future with your son and now it's gone and the idea is that like gun's future is about to be taken from him because he gambled it away thinking he'd never have one it's i mean like you you talk about how this is like super mature and obviously like I am the host of your rival nemesis podcast, Buffering mm-hmm. Vampire Slayer. There's With hard the, shit the going Jenny. on there. Yeah, that damn, that damn Jenny. A menace. Just every fucking week, <laughs> just singing your praises again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, 
the season six is so dark. It's so sad. It's so hard. But I really do think that what we see between Cordelia and Angel here, and honestly, between Angel and Wes and what have you, is like at a different level. Not, and I'm not talking about like quality or or what ha- or depth of feeling even, but just it feels like later in life you are like feeling things in the way that these characters are feeling them versus where we are um, still in Buffy. Yeah, I f- I fully agree, and that that's why why I brought it up because I know like watching it at, right after I watched Buffy as a teen, I felt very like at sea and like bombarded by all mm-hmm. of these like much heavier themes and feelings, and I did not feel ready for any of that stuff. And I that's why I've, it's been such a gift to like watch this again with you guys right now, where I'm uh you know slightly more mature than I was when I was fifteen. Uh, like, yeah, not my much. Yeah, but just a little bit. Um, uh, okay, well, yeah. I'm going to go play uh, Gangsta's Paradise on loop and teach uh, young children uh, of color that uh, poetry is just like uh, rapping and, and it's great. So mm-hmm. I hope that that's cool with all of you that I'm going to use my time that way while you talk about this episode. I think it's a great use of your time. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all you can watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so in the scene, Angel says, you know, you think you know something about living because you have a really long life, and that's really all you have, in my case anyway. And honestly, it like circles us back to the premiere heartthrob where James is telling Angel that like he actually lived when Angel just existed. And it's easy to kind of forget that episode, especially because you just think it's all about Buffy and Buffy's death. Mm-hmm. But that ultimately informs the rest of the season and the Connor stuff, because with Connor, Angel has been living, and now losing Connor, that just stops. You're right. And it's a return like, to just existing. Yeah. Yeah. That, and Angel yeah. obviously doesn't want to go back to that. And he says, I had a son. And then when Boreas says, I had a son, that's where I tear up. So fair. I also have I had a son written in my in my notes. It, he says something about he's like, like the idea that like, you know, you think you live like long, but you lose everyone. And he just kind of says like he was just little like he was just getting started. Like, it's just such a tragedy. It's one of those things that it's, I'm just like, I don't know how you even begin to process that kind of thing. And what Cordelia does for him is so beautiful. But yeah, it's um, it is absolutely fucking devastating. And I think. I think to a certain extent, it it transitioning into our next scene, we talked about like tonal shifts in this episode quite a bit. But I think this this scene leading into this next scene with Gunn and Fred kind of helps because yeah. of the like deep sadness undercutting it. And we watch Gunn trying to have fun and trying to pretend that everything is okay with Fred when it is absolutely not, despite Fred wearing a little plastic gold crown. <laughs> Which I yeah. I think can solve a lot of problems, but uh, not yeah. all of them. They're having lunch on what I assume is the Fox lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It looks like it was where the Cordy opening titles were uh, shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the Fox lot. It's it's so cute. Fred's finally full. She's feeling a little overloaded, which is a real shame because Gun says something about going to a roller rink, and I'm like, give me that now. I want to see Charles Gunn roller skate right fucking now. <laughs> they had six street tacos. They had fish sticks at the pier because then we're going to Santa Monica. They had Dodger dogs. <laughs> we're going all around LA. I'm like, when did you have time to go to a full baseball game? <laughs> and did you see that there's a little bunny in their bag, which ties back to him being like, win yeah. me a bunny. I, oh, I was... Uh, I was unwell. So Fred is kind of like a little joy overloaded. She wants to pump the brakes. Oh, also, I'm so sorry. Their plates are stacked with wings. Yep. Stacked with chicken wings. And she's having a like double mocha, a double whip shake. She's going to puke. She is. What a queen. Um, <laughs> Gun is like, oh, no, I blew it. I... I- have to pass away and fred's like no 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 we just we just don't have to cram the rest of our lives into these like into these like you know the rest of this day and and then amy acker delivers what i think is the funniest line (laughs) delivery ever Mm -hmm. which is charles do you have leukemia (laughs) which she's seen on the news like (laughs) 
she references having seen leukemia on the news and i'm like that's the that's where you found out uh gun seems to find it very funny as well because he laughs hysterically she's just like something's terribly wrong and then beat charles do you have leukemia He's like, no. Leukemia, obviously not funny. But in this instance, the question is very funny, as is the fact that she hears about it on the news all the time. Yes. Full agreement there. Um, He laughs at her and he's like, no, like, I'm fine. And she's like, oh, great. I'm relieved. Wait, I'm not relieved. Something's still very wrong. It's something with us. And so she, like, really is like, you need to stop lying to me and tell me what the fuck is wrong right now. And I think that's, like, a great thing between the two of them, the idea that, like, um, you know, you're saying a pretty big thing about them if, you know, his soul is hers. You're saying that they have a uh, pretty dang miraculous love. And the idea that they know each other this well, that she can just cut through the bullshit and be like, there is something you are not telling me spill right now feels very like authentic and real and earned to me i think that's so lovely but then gun panics and decides to shut down and be a huge asshole this wasn't uh i was i was unwell during this she like tries to push him and he does shut down and she's like is it me like what's wrong and he's like now i gotta make a list oh i gun Come on. Watch this scene through my fingers. Like, I could not handle it. Fred takes off her little crown. He decides to cause a scene. And he dumps her. And she asks if there's someone else. And he says, yeah, her name's I'm a real woman, not a stick figure. I wrote so big in my notes. Stop that right now. She should have slapped him. She should have. But I think she's just like, she's so shocked and like humiliated. He just leaves her behind crying. And it's like devastating. (laughs) And then we cut back to Angel's room. So it's like, yeah, the the vibe continues. Like we uh, remain upset. Um, Cordelia sits down with Angel and says. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know what you're going through that I could begin to understand what it is you're feeling. The last thing you need right now is someone saying that given time, things will get better or the hurt's gonna go away because things won't get better. The hurt's never gonna go away. The truth is, if you lived another 200 years, you'd never forget how Connor was taken from you. And you shouldn't. You loved your son, Angel. And you'll go on loving him. And missing him. You'll go on living, too. You'll do that. And that's where in my notes, I, I, I note, of course, the hardest part of this world is to live in it. You have to go on living. All uh, the fun, uh, once more with feeling things uh, that we learned about on Buffy season six. See, see we don't always shit on Buffy season six over here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's obviously a different emotional struggle that Angel is facing from Buffy. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's interesting because I think a lot of like a certain themes in Buffy season six probably work or would work better on Angel just because its default is darker. Mm-hmm. 
as we've, we've talked about like how if Marty Knoxon had become showrunner of Angel, that would have made a lot of sense. Yes. I think it's kind of uh, like that similarity. And mm-hmm. I honestly, I love the scene and could probably talk about it forever. It's just mm-hmm. like, again, Boreanaz and Carpenter are so fucking great in this episode. And it's just like, they pick up like she hasn't been gone for episodes. These two, their, their chemistry is just, it's, Oh, it's very special. Yeah. And it's such a it's such a lived in dynamic. Like it's and both of them um just seem like as actors to each other, like they're able to be in such a like generous space as like performers and very like giving to each other. And there's a lot of just like looking and listening and just being. It's it's a really like lovely thing that they have which again also just feels more inherently adult than any of the couples on Buffy like I, I, I'm not seeing those people sit around quietly very much and this is again not to shit on Buffy which I do love as I've said a million times but it's like Xander and Anya can't like they have to be yak yak yakking at each other all the time like this this quiet is there's something about it that's just like it speaks for itself. Like, it's so beautiful. Like, you can't deny that these people have something so important mm-hmm. with each other. And yeah. As, as everyone knows, we love our uh, vampire diaries. Hell yeah. But, like, I, I can't help but think that, like, this is the type of tragedy where if any vampire on the vampire diaries were faced with it, they would immediately turn their humanity off. Yep. As opposed to, like, Angel's not going, I need to lose my soul and not grieve this at all. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's dealing with it. Yeah. Jeez, yeah, everybody be flipping their dang switch. Um, flipping their switches all over the place. Like a, <laughs> a bunch of Justines. <laughs> Justine goes to Mystic Falls. <laughs> it's like thinking about her meeting Klaus. <laughs> I like you, Justine. <laughs> Horrible. She, she's like comforted by him because he has a weird accent, just like Daniel. Yeah, vaguely European-sounding men. What is it about them? <laughs> I will say, though, with this episode, I'm pretty sure, like, this era, especially because the, the hair reminded me, uh, this is probably around the time there was kind of pushback. And it, it's probably, like, more television not pity instead of maybe not general fandom, but, like, uh, St. Cordelia criticism. It's, like, about her possibly being, you know, too perfect and too empathetic, even though I think it fits perfectly here and it makes a lot of sense yeah because i think it's also like it works because she's she's being very perfect for angel in this moment but she's in this relationship with Gru that we've already discussed is like flawed in various ways and is has a certain amount of denial baked into it like that is imperfect and she also like tries to read what's going on with gun and is completely wrong as well like she's she is also like there's human errors still like happening with her like i don't think she is god forbid i use the mary sue word but like you she's, said it she's not doing that kind of stuff like she's not a I, I think Cordelia would be inherently less interesting if she suddenly was perfect and never did anything wrong ever in her life, which in a lot of ways I do think she is and she never has done. But uh, <laughs> she's my baby. But, you know, she's still like Cordelia. She's still like making some mistakes and being a little too abrasive every once in a while. Like it. I, I don't subscribe to that. I'd say, yeah, I'll fight anybody. 
Oh boy. Come for Cordy, you come for me. Should we play the theme? Hell yes, please. <laughs> Hit it, bitch. This this uh, the scene is interrupted by some crying sounds, and they weren't me. <laughs> hmm. They're Fred, who is just sobbing outside the door, like cartoon character, like crying. Amy Acker is so um, she threads the needle on this being both funny and sad so beautifully. Um, she's a gift. Uh, she says, it's Charles. I think he's in terrible danger. And he is. Mm-hmm. He is. So we go to the casino. Uh, Jenoff pokes a guy's eyes out and, like, sucks his soul out through him. Because the eyes are the windows to the soul, you guys. <laughs> Further proof. And uh, Gunn shows up and says he's here to pay his bill. No. <laughs> And with that, no, I say it's time for a fuck watch, baby. Yeah. Flirting, understanding, consent, and kissing. Flirting, understanding, consent, and kissing. Fuck watch. Morgan. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this episode, obviously, you want to fuck a bunch of people. I can tell. Who is it? So I'm going to steal. I've noticed that you've been a little tricksy on a on a fuck watch or two. So I think I'm going to be a little tricksy. And I'm going to say that while I have picked Gunn and Fred as separate entities, (laughs) I've never picked them as a couple. And there is no better episode to do that in than this one. (laughs) I'm going to fuck Gunn and Fred. Finally giving you the thruple energy you always want. Yes, I think this this is the ideal thruple for me. Oh, I'm definitely fucking Vinny Statham. How could you not tell? (laughs) I love it. Oh, those that he's so blue. (laughs) He talks like he's from London. (laughs) I love that for you. So cosmopolitan. And Kristen's like Sajan, even though he's not in the episode. <laughs> Kristen screaming Sajan from a distance. Sa- Sajan. I've, uh, sorry, I was in the middle of a portal. I'm so sorry that I missed my cue. I, I've just been searching all dimensions for Sajan. <laughs> Desperately seeking Sajan. <laughs> you get a poster made up for that. I would like that. Please, someone please make Desperately Seeking Sajan. Well, that's fuck watch. <laughs> Our next scene's in the Hyperion lobby. Gru is like, uh, is there and he's like, I'm very sorry. And Angel's like very confused by what's going on as Fred kind of like regales them with all the information. And yeah, because this is when the episode fully just becomes a comedy. It's the scene is so funny. And Cordelia, like Cordelia's like, why do you think he's in danger? I'm very confused. And Fred yells, because he broke up with me. (laughs) 
I read. And Gru's the most confused because he doesn't understand. He just doesn't understand. Not one piece of this does Gru understand. I write in my notes, Fred's self-esteem is rightfully through the roof. I'm so glad because, you know, like we've played her other ways. And I think there's like a world where she is like very insecure and like believes mm-hmm. everything um, Gun said about her and is like, yeah, because he could never like me. And like, of course, he broke up with me and all that stuff. But like, that just lasts for like a minute after hearing all those mean things said to her. Afterwards, she's just like, absolutely not. He'd never do that. Like, I'm a fucking prize. And yeah, good for her. She says, because he would never say those things to me. And Courtney's like, those things he, he said? said? <laughs> yes. So so you've come to the point in my notes where I write, a perfect run of dialogue occurs, ending yes. in Angel saying, so yes. let me get this straight. You and Gunn are dating. Yes. We have been calling it out for episodes that Angel has no idea what's going on with them. And they finally confirm it. I died. And Fred... I I know I say at the top of every episode of this show that I am the Winifred Burkle of this podcast, but never have I felt it more than when he says that to her and she flails her arms and goes, (laughs) not anymore, I guess. (laughs) Like, that was... um, that was a window right into my soul. Um, I I love her. She's the best. And I can relate. What a brilliant, brilliant scene. It's absolutely perfect. I Our fuckwatch is actually this scene. Yeah, I, I mean, really, yes. Yes, my fuckwatch is absolutely everyone's comedic timing in this scene. She says, he'd only hurt me to protect, to protect me. And Angel says, okay, then I guess we'd better help him because we're not losing another member of this family. Yeah, the funny scene ends up being the saddest scene at the very end because of that. I do just have three sad faces in my notes. To me, it's so beautiful. It's like everything Cordy has said to him throughout this episode has prepared him for like this moment. It's the idea that like if life is going to continue, so is the danger we're constantly in. And all he has, you know, to a certain extent is his calling and his community to keep you know, making living more than existing. So naturally, it's like, we have to get back to it. We have to go save Gun because like, you know, this is the highest stakes that's left now that my son's gone. And yeah, they're a family. I don't know if you noticed, but um, I'm emotional about it. Really? Yeah. Speaking of being emotional, Wesley arrives home with his box all alone. He has no more family. I wrote in my notes, not yikes, just yike. (laughs) I guess Wesley's lucky that he has his own apartment and doesn't live in the hotel. I guess. Yeah, I guess he doesn't have to find a new place. So that is, uh, you know, lucky in air quotes. (laughs) Absolutely. Yep. So we're done with Wesley for now. Bye, Wes. Uh, It's been fun. (laughs) Which one's the sadder bottle episode? The Cordy Angel stuff or the Wesley stuff? And I'm like, at least, at least Angel has Cordy. Like, it's like, you know, he's lost something so significant, but at least he still has beautiful things in his life. Unlike Wes, who, who, I'm coming up empty on the list. I guess he has his tea set back. Yeah, he has his box with his tea set, and that's about it. God, agony. 
So then in the Hyperion lobby, they're calling Gun. He's not answering his phone. They're kind of trying to plan everything and divide and conquer. And then Gru says, oh, great. And wherever we go, we should probably leave behind these like small rectangles. And he holds up a business card from the casino that Vinny <laughs> Statham left behind. This is where I wrote in all caps, himbo. Me too. <laughs> Right, and he's like, please remind me to give this to Gunn when we get him. And then he puts his uh, his hand on Fred's shoulder because I do believe we're going to get him. <laughs> how can Kristen, how can yeah, you not <laughs> love him when he has a heart of gold? He's so stupid. But in this moment where he is just demonstrating his stupidity, this he's like, Fred, him up for you. <laughs> Nothing? Okay, okay. Yes, it's, it softens him up for me a little bit. Also, I'm really busy on a project, so I'm not doing my full production job, but like, you'll be proud of me. Just give me like five more minutes, okay? Anyway, Are you doing I desperately seeking, seeking Sasha? Sasha? Shut up. I gotta go. <laughs> Just yelling at me. Oh, shut up. Thank you. The feud continues. I hope we don't cut that because I just want everyone to know that's what producer Kristen is like. She's just yelling shut up at us. I love producer Kristen. She's the best. <laughs> oh my god! I yeah, for I am confident that we shall like <laughs> that. That he's a himbo that speaks like a Lord of the Rings character. Like it just it it's too much for me. Um, then Angel like is like, oh, I know Jenoff, the soul sucker. <laughs> oh god, That's what he does. <laughs> yeah, it's a reputation. So then. At the casino, uh, Melty Eye Guy is dragged away. Uh, they tell Gun, it's pretty brave of you. Not a lot of people, like, walk in here of their own free will to pay their debt. And he's like, yeah, let's just get it over with. And then who busts through those double doors? Our angel and the gang. Thank goodness. Uh, we got a little fight. But uh, they are surrounded pretty quickly. Angel, like, takes a hostage. And Jenoff's like, hey, you're disrupting my business. And Angel's like, you're disrupting mine. You're taking one of my employees. Fair enough. Very provider energy. Uh, <laughs> and um, Angel's like, well, what if, you know, like, I'll let you live if you give me back a gun. And that doesn't work. Not a good deal at all. So instead, he says... Our episode title, Double or Nothing, and he bets his own soul, and he gets to choose the game. Yeah, Jennifer first didn't, like, oh, you're a vampire. That's useless. He's like, I'm a vampire with a soul, fool. It's like, oh, yeah, you're that vampire. Jennifer, you didn't know who's coming into your casino. Like, you knew who Gun was when he came into your casino. You didn't know who Angel, the vampire with a soul, was? Come on. Maybe we're seeing Jennifer, like, far after his prime maybe you know seven years ago he was on top of all of it and he was ruling his piece of the city with an iron fist all from his casino throne but now he's let himself languish a bit he's gotten <laughs> greedy and slothful and he doesn't you know keep track of the players in town anymore these are all of my uh thoughts and <laughs> when i write my gen off spinoff novel <laughs> Put it on the list. Hell yes. So we come back from commercial and Cordy's like, okay, what's the plan? And Angel's like, I don't know. I've played a lot of cards. Yeah, she thought this was a stall tactic and not the real plan. Fred is like, uh, 
I'm not okay with this. Like, this is leaving stuff up way too much for chance. Uh, Jenoff is clear- clearly feeling very confident. And Angel gives Cordy a stake and is like, in case I lose. And he says to make it quick because he never loses an opportunity <laughs> to tell someone close to him that they might have to kill him. <laughs> as emo as it gets. He's always telling him. It's like we say, he's always telling him. He is. He is always telling them. And Cordy's like, you know, I will. Uh, so th- that's friendship there. Pure unadulterated friendship. So they go to the blackjack table and they're like, cool. One hand of cards. And Angel's like, how about just a cut of the deck? Angel, why? <laughs> Play a game of cards. I believe the first time I watched this, I screamed and I was just like, this is reckless on a level I cannot handle. (laughs) They're like, okay, high card wins. Jenoff draws a nine. An angel draws a three. (laughs) Everyone's Everyone's horrified. A three. (laughs) Everyone's reading of a three is so funny. Um, so Cordy, uh, springs into action. She pins Jenoff's hand to the table with the stake and Angel cuts his head off. And they're like, yeah, that was the plan all along. Um, Angel looks to Gunn and he's like, so I handled it. No need to say thank you. And Gunn's like, if killing him was that easy, like, I can cut a head off, man. What proceeds to happen (laughs) made me... So happy. This is the real men in black shit here. This is the real, like, when Kristen was like, this episode was sad. And I was like, this is the best episode ever. (laughs) All I could think of was this. David mentioned, like, it. these are practical effects. I think it really holds up. Like, if this had been CGI, this probably would not look anywhere near as good as it looks. He grows a new head. And there is goo the new head has these little stubby baby teeth and starts just like screaming. It is disgusting. And I am on cloud nine looking at it. It, it is amazing. Did you, did this uh, traumatize you as a child or were you this like, did this did not rules? traumatize me. No, this is not one of the things that traumatized me. Good. I will God. always let you know when something traumatized me. Cause I realized I'm like, of course I'm saying this is the best little toy is going to be like, I like threw up at watching this as a child and <laughs> ran away from my television and I'll be like, I'm See, so sorry. It's not so much the creature designs that get to me. The only time a creature design has ever gotten to me mm-hmm. is on uh, Gooey Gus from Ghost Rider. <laughs> he was steaming mad. Oh, that fucked me up too. That, right? That is a formative fear of my Like a, a chill just ran down my spine. <laughs> he was steaming mad. He was burning mad. I'm like watching that as I like ate my cereal in the mornings and just like my blood running cold. That's how they wrapped up Ghost Rider. That was the end of the series. That was wrong to do to all of us. Um, So everyone watches in horror as this happens. And it's like, oh, shit. Okay, well, he hasn't been killed. And then Angel very smartly just yells, anyone else owe this guy? And they run as the casino just descends on this guy to beat the shit out of him. And that's lovely. So uh, from here, we transition into, like, our last big uh, scene, like, with with Gunn. We're in Gunn's truck. 
he is apologizing to Fred repeatedly. <laughs> she makes him apologize into the microphone, which is just her hand. Um, and he, like, gives it a bunch of kisses, and they're just looking at each other, and it is stopping my heart. So Fred is like, okay, who'd you trade your soul for? And Gun gets shy, and Fred wheedles. And what is fun is that the initial conception of this pitch, they didn't have an answer to this. And in, like, talking about it as a room and breaking the story, they realized it, you know, like, could be and should be the car. And they were like, yeah, um, I want to read... So we spent a long time discussing what he could have done for it before we landed on that. It was just so perfect because it said so much about who Gunn was at the time back in the day and how much his life had changed since then. And then obviously the fun we got to have in the last scene where Fred thinks it's about another woman uh, before he reveals it is the icing on the cake. Like it's it's so cute for him to just be like, yeah, it was this truck. Mm -hmm. And I think it being his truck makes a lot of sense as he points out it kept him alive it saved a lot of others i i do remember at the time again people criticizing the fact like really a truck that was it he's always like what are you yes that truck was very important it's very the important. truck is like the first thing we see of him yeah the character and it costs money like that's the thing is like he was mortgaging his future in this way because he didn't think he'd have like he thought this was more important than anything else that could happen like it was shelter and it was helping him like do what he deems like his purpose like i think that's incredibly important fred says to him what is it about you that just makes me melt and i write in big old letters we have a song for that <laughs> hit it bitch <laughs> Check that tux, check that bod Sign me up for the gun squad Did someone say golden god? I'm all in on the gun squad Gameboy playing, gameboy king Sign me up for the gun squad Even when he's curmudgeon in I'm all in on the gun squad Bang, bang, bang Gonna shoot a shot. Bang bang. Cracking skulls up and down the block. Bang bang. Gotta smile to make the pennies drop. Bang bang. Gun squad. Gun squad. Bang bang. <laughs> flap flap. Kapow kapow. <laughs> pew pew. <laughs> I feel like Yosemite Sam. Please, you're always doing. Um, and Gunn says that he loves Fred. <laughs> and they make out, and it's very cute. And I was very happy. And our last scene, uh, we're in Angel's room in the Hyperion, and he's looking at the crib, and Cordy watches him as he starts to, like, disassemble it and take it apart. And it's kind of this, like, final gesture of, like... <clears throat> okay, the, I guess, like, the denial piece of this is over. Like, he's he's gonna put that away and start, you know, accepting, I guess, to a certain extent, as much as he can right now, that, like, he is now not someone who has a, you know, a child anymore. Very sad, but I guess it's, like, it's as uplifting as this story can get, mm -hmm. really, you know? It's, he's moving on. 
as much as he can. Yeah, he's he is like it, it is like progress to a certain extent, and it's like kind of being. Yeah, it's it's moving into a new phase with the help of someone who cares about him very much, and with the like idea that he's going to be supported by all these people around him who clearly care about him and love him. It's just whew, what a brutal visual. Well, you know, it's a brutal visual. Um, what I'm about to recommend for the, the episode that Angel should watch, effectively ruining the gravitas of this scene. It can't wait. Angel is a vampire. Does he even like TV? I think he'll like the WB. <laughs> they got that hot teen drama to ease the pain and trauma. And here's the episode that he needs to see. Looking through, you know, the list of WBs, going through the Rolodex in my mind, Mm -hmm. and I decided for this episode, I'm not going to choose a WB episode. I'm going to cheat. Whoa. I'm going to choose a a show that was part of TNT's primetime in the daytime schedule, which does, it's basically like a second WB, if you will. Very close. And I was just thinking about how, like, Angel, he got a three. (laughs) He got a three. Yeah, that was rough. (laughs) I mean, you should know Angel of the, Ho- the House always wins, especially when you have a, a freaking three. Mm-hmm. And one episode proves more to us that the house always wins than Las Vegas season three, episode nine, Moth Woman, a.k.a. the episode where Laura Flynn Boyle is blown off the roof of the Montecito via gusts of wind. That you are bringing up Las Vegas in... 2021 <laughs> is stunning to me. The second you said the house always wins, I was like, is she about to bring up Las Vegas? No. No, no one would do that. You did it. What's Josh Dumal doing in that app? <laughs> I don't know. He is there on the roof with her when she blows away. The whole episode is um comic book inspired so it like all of its inner like act uh ends are all like uh comic book uh panels oh okay so and the the final comic book panel is a freeze frame comic book panel of laura flynn boyle flying off the roof of the montecito good gravy um i love it i hope angel has a great time watching it and that it takes his troubles away it's like angel it could have gone so much worse for you. Again, you got a three, and that was pretty bad, but it could have gone so much worse for you. Perspective, right my roof. friend. Angel is a vampire. Does he even like TV? I think he'll like the WB. <laughs> they got that hot teen drama to ease the pain and trauma. And here's the episode that he needs to see. Uh, I'm very, I'm very proud of us. This episode, this is, uh, it's a silly, it's a silly episode of our podcast, uh, and it's a great episode of Angel. Um, I, I loved watching this one. This was, uh, even though the Angel Cordelia stuff is really brutal and very sad, and the same with the West stuff, um, it felt uh, a little less. Um, 
because of the lighter stuff in this, I felt uh, less painful watching this one than I have the last couple. So I I had a great time talking about it with you. <laughs> yeah, it was a technically a break from the pain, but not really. Again, I did cry during this episode. Yeah, same. <laughs> we are we're deep into season three of Angel. Oof, and it is and it is hurting us. <laughs> I mean, it could be worse. We could be deep into season six of Buffy. Very true. Thank, thank God for small favors. Um, and- Rude. <laughs> what was that? Um, do you hear something, Latoya? I don't. It's probably someone who wants us to shut up. <laughs> and uh, on that note, uh, you can follow us on social media at Angel on Top Cast on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, you can go to angelontop.com. Uh, to find our Patreon, where you can find um, ad-free episodes and exclusive content from us, including a uh, first impressions uh, watch, which we mentioned in this episode, which is really fun, and a movie podcast, uh, Girls on Film, that we have a couple episodes of out right now. And if you want to find me for any reason on social media, you can find me at Lorgan Mudich. Latoya, where can the people find you, and should they? You can only find me if you solve my riddles three. But first, you have to find out what those riddles are. How are you going to find out? I won't tell you. Good luck, suckers. <laughs> That's it. How do we end this pot? We have to f- come up with like a closing line or something. Uh, Until next time. See you at the casino. <laughs> Monsters lurk in the shadowy corners of the internet. Our darkest fears peer back at us from the depths of the web. We can... (coughs) Hey, holy... Hey, Linda Blair. Are you all right? No. Can we maybe do this a different tone? Hey there, I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. On our podcast, Digital Folklore, we explore monsters, memes, and everything in between. Looking at our digital expressions through the lens of folklore, we break down the stories and communities we create online. And we try to make it a lot of fun. The show is presented in an audio drama style with a narrative and soundscape that's designed to draw you in. We weave insightful research and expert interviews with humor and storytelling. Come check it out. Search Digital Folklore wherever you get your podcasts.